Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them, and he watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. For God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend. Whether you're here in the West service with me, or you're over in our East service, or you're watching online, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, I am so excited about this summer's sermon series, looking at the life of Moses and seeing in the life of Moses something about the beauty of God, his love for us, and the promise that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because after all, one of the main goals of this sermon series is to teach you, to show you, to remind you that the Bible is one big story. Old Testament, New Testament, one story of God's faithfulness to his promise through Jesus. So that even when we're looking at the life of Moses, we are looking to see Jesus. I hope that will be exciting to you this summer. Uh, one other thing I wanted to let you know about, uh, in case you didn't know, or if you're here and you have a kid, uh, you brought a child that's yours, or a niece, or nephew, grandchild, whatever it might be, I want you to know that during this sermon series, our children's ministry is actually learning the exact same material that we are at their level. So that they, today, they will be reading and studying the same story that you are as well. And that's because we want it to feel like one church. But it's also because 
we really want to encourage you to talk to those kids about Jesus, to talk to them about the Bible. I know it can be intimidating. I know you might think you don't know enough. What if they ask questions? What if I don't know the answers? So I want you to know that in preparing this sermon, one of my goals is that you will be ready to talk to them today, on the way home, this week, doing the family devotional, having them use their Jesus story box that they're making. You will be ready to have a great conversation with your kids about what God teaches us in Exodus 2. Don't miss that chance. Don't miss that opportunity. Speaking of Exodus, if you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it to Exodus chapter 2. If you have a phone or a tablet, take it out and scroll to Exodus chapter 2. If you're watching online, go ahead and open that web browser and get to Exodus chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 11. And as you're turning there, let me hold out to you the outline I'm going to use to kind of guide our time together. Three points and they go like this. I want to talk about heroes, heels, and hopes. Okay, heroes, heels, and hopes. All right, let me start with the first one, heroes. You might be tempted to wonder what, if any, significance is there for us in this passage. Not a lot seems to happen. In fact, if you know the story of Exodus, what came before it was the story of putting Moses in a basket and somehow baby Moses floating down the river avoids coming up under the tyrannical rule of a genocidal dictator and instead is adopted into that dictator's family. It's a crazy story. And then right after this is the burning bush when God speaks to Moses through a bush that's on fire but is not consumed. Those are significant stories. So it's tempting to view this passage as what I'll call a flyover passage. You just want to read it quickly to get from one really good story to another really good story. There doesn't seem to be a lot here for us in Exodus 2. But there is. And the reason why there is, is not so much about the stories themselves, but about who they're about. Moses is an incredibly significant figure in the story of the Bible. Moses is a biblical hero. It's Moses who I said, like I said, will be put in a basket and float down the river and somehow survive. It's Moses who God calls to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, to tell him to let God's people go, even at the cost of his economy. It's Moses who will use plagues and and pestilence to bring Pharaoh to his knees. It's Moses who will stand at the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army is coming to bear on Israel and everyone's freaking out. It'll be Moses who says, trust God, he will make a way. It'll be Moses who gets God to drop bread from heaven to bring water from a rock, who goes up the mountain and talks to God and comes down with his face glowing and the Ten Commandments. It is Moses who leads Israel through wandering in the wilderness and brings them to the doorstep of the promised land. Moses is a hero. Moses is incredibly significant to the story of the Bible. Therefore, any story involving Moses is significant. Moses is a hero. You know, when you read the story of the Bible, one of the things you'll find is that God routinely uses heroes to advance the story. 
God uses men and women who are examples, who are leaders, who are heroic, to basically say to his people, hey, get behind me. Watch me. Do what I do. Let me do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. God is almost always leading his people through heroes. It's Abraham, and then Joseph, and then Moses, and then Joshua, and then David, and Elisha, and Elijah, and so on. God routinely raising up heroes for us to look to, heroes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, This is something that I think God is teaching us, and that is that we are hardwired to need heroes. We're designed to look for examples, to find people who inspire us to be the best versions of ourselves, people who can accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. This is all over our books, all over our movies. I just recently saw the new Top Gun as a child of the 80s. It's awesome. That's awesome. And Tom Cruise is a hero in the movie. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But it's not just in movies and in books. It's in real life. We go looking for people that we can follow, people we can get behind. Uh, Let me give you this example. I I hope you know that Pastor Joe, our lead pastor, uh, he and I are very close. He's my mentor. He's like a father to me. He's incredibly meaningful in my life. We're also freakishly similar, okay? Like, for example, did you know that he and I were born in the exact same hospital in Louisville, Kentucky? I know. Now, he was born there many, many years before. <laughs> but, uh, but the same, I mean, what are the odds of that, right? And we're also alike in a lot of ways. Like, for example, he's not handy at all, and neither am I. In fact, uh, I am so bad at fixing things around the house that my wife, who is otherwise incredibly frugal, will start pushing for us to hire someone the immediate minute I go looking for the toolbox. I'm like, oh, well, let me see. She's like, no, 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 we'll pay whatever it costs. Whatever it costs, you'll only make it worse. And she's right, usually. Sometimes, though, sometimes something breaks at the house and I don't have time to call someone. The circumstances dictate that that I take aim at it. Like a couple weeks ago, I was mowing my yard, which I've told you is a big deal in my neighborhood. And halfway through mowing my yard, the uh, lawnmower belt snapped. So the yard is halfway mowed, which is a no-no, okay? So I've got to fix it. I can't call someone. I can't take it anywhere. I've got to fix it. A week ago, uh, my kitchen sink uh, faucet kind of bursts and there's water everywhere and it's all over the counter and we got to have a kitchen sink faucet. I don't have time to call anyone. I have to fix it. So in those moments, I go looking where we all go for heroes, YouTube. Right? I'm putting in the YouTube search bar uh, lawnmower belt replacement, kitchen sink faucet replacement. And what I'm looking for is a hero. I'm looking for someone who knows what I don't know. Someone who can say, Zach, get behind me. Together, we can do this. I can show you how. And we do that in all kinds of ways. We do it with our finances. We do it with education, with parenting, with marriage. We're always looking for someone who knows more than us, who can do what we can't do, who says to us, get behind me. And the Bible tells us that's because that's the way we're wired. There's something about being human that is craving for a hero. 
By the way, the church is not immune from that. Even in the church, even in your own story, if you're here and you're a Christian, you would look back on your life and you would say, God has used different men and women to tell you about Jesus, to teach Bible studies, to lead small groups, to write books, to, to host podcasts, to give sermons, to sing songs. Men and women that God has used who have said to you at one time or another, get behind me. I will show you. I'll show you who God is. I'll show you what he can do. I will help you believe. We need heroes. Moses is a hero. That's why this story matters. But there's a second reason it matters. That's my second point. Heals. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we write heroes in literature or in movies, they always have to have a weakness. They have to. Because a hero without a weakness does not create much drama. Like, Take Superman, uh, for example. Superman has almost every superpower, okay? It's ridiculous. In fact, when I was a kid and you'd say, who's your favorite superhero? The one rule was you couldn't say Superman because he could do everything. That's why it's hilarious to me that this guy that could shoot laser beams out of his eyes, fly, he's invincible, this tiny little green rock brings him to his knees. Kryptonite. And somehow the bad guys are always finding kryptonite. They are buying it on Amazon or something. <laughs> they always have it. But the reason why Superman needs kryptonite is because if we don't think there's a chance he can lose, it's not as interesting. The, Greek, the uh, classic Greek poet Homer, when he wrote his epic, The Iliad, includes in the Iliad a Superman-like figure named Achilles. Achilles is the greatest warrior in the whole book. He's fast, he's strong, he's brutal, he's brave, he's good-looking, he's everything that you want a warrior to be. And part of the reason he's so amazing is because when he was born, the goddess took him by the foot and dipped him in the river Styx. So that Achilles becomes invincible except for one place, his heel, where the goddess was holding him. That would go on to be known as the Achilles heal. Because the idea was when Achilles was on the battlefield, you couldn't hurt him. You couldn't phase him unless you aimed for the heel. So even Homer knew heroes, in order to be compelling, in order to be realistic, need a weakness. Well, the Bible tells us the same thing is true of real-life heroes. Not in the form of tiny green rocks or weaknesses on their feet, but rather the Bible, as every time God raises up a hero, the Bible works to demythologize that hero, to show you that that hero is just like you and he's just like me. He or she has weaknesses, and not in the form of rocks and not in the form of feet, but in the form of actual character flaws that will bring them to their knees. In fact, we can read about Moses here in Exodus chapter 2. Look with me at the first two verses, verse 11 and 12. Here's what it says. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and laid him or hid him in the sand. Now, writers, scholars will agree that the Hebrew is being beaten by the Egyptian. Now, that's not right, but he's not being killed. 
What's happening is what often happens in slave-master-slave relationships. The slave-master is treating the slave as though he's property. He is physically beating him for some infraction. And Moses' response to this is to murder the Egyptian. That's because if you read the story of Moses, what you'll find is that he has an unquenchable anger. Moses has an incredible anger problem. He's got a temper. So he responds to this instance of this Hebrew being beaten, not by intervening or interceding. He's a son of Pharaoh, after all. He could just say to the guy, stop. He could fire the guy. He could imprison the guy. There's any number of things he could do, but instead he murders him. And by the way, not in a fit of, of, of passionate rage, but in a premeditated, cold and calculating way. Look at verse 12. Before he does it, he looks this way and that. He makes sure there are no witnesses. And then when he kills the guy, he doesn't stand by the body and say, this was justice. What I did was right. He deserves it. You can arrest me. I'll go to trial. I'll vindicate myself. No, he takes the body and he hides it in the sand. Moses' anger leads to him unrighteously murdering this guy. And by the way, this is not going to be the last time Moses' anger shows up in the story. He will get angry many, many times over his life and his ministry and his career. Ultimately, his anger will cost him the ability to go into the promised land. He will not be allowed to go into the promised land because he loses his temper with God and God's people. Moses is a hero, that's for sure, but he's a hero with an Achilles heel. He's a hero who's flawed. He's a hero with a character weakness. You see, the Bible tells us two things are true. We need heroes, and yet every single hero we come across will be flawed, will ultimately disappoint us, will ultimately let us down. Listen, that's true in the greater world. Every political leader you follow will ultimately let you down. Every, every leader in every sphere will turn out to not be exactly who you thought they were. You will be disappointed. The Bible shows us that time and time again. But what is really important is the Bible tells us that's not just true outside the church, that's true inside the church. Moses is a spiritual leader, but he's a spiritual leader who is a sinner. What are we going to do with that? What do you do when you find out these heroes that you're hardwired to want, these, these leaders that you're looking to, these writers and pastors and preachers and singers, these men and women who have made such a meaningful impact to the development of your faith, what do you do when they fall. Well, look at what happens here in the passage. The very next two verses, verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. So this is a physical conflict now between two Hebrews, no Egyptian involved. And, and he, Moses, said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? In other words, Moses is trying to be a leader. What are you doing? What are you doing? We're all Hebrews here. Why would you do this? And look what the guy says to him. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? In other words, Moses, how dare you? 
You think you're going to lead me? You are just like me. You are flawed like me. You are angry like me. You are violent like me. You can't lead me. See, the Bible says that when confronted with our need for heroes, and yet the fact that every hero is flawed, one reaction is to reject any leadership at all. By the way, this is going to happen time and time again to Moses. He's going to show up in Egypt, and they are going to oppose him. Israel is going to oppose him time and time again. Can you imagine the whispers about Moses that must have been flying, the rumors that would have been flying? Can you imagine what social media would have done to Moses? I mean, Twitter would have been awful for him. Moses, ha, hashtag zero, not hero. Hashtag anger management. Hashtag bodies are in the sand. Right? That's what they would have been saying. They would have been saying, don't listen to him. He doesn't know anything. You can't trust him. He doesn't know anything about God. He's got a temper problem. He's angry. He's a murderer. Of course, there are other approaches. Other people might have ignored Moses' past or rationalized it, made excuses. Were you there? You don't know what happened. Uh, Hashtag, I stand with Moses. But no matter what the reaction would have been, the reality is that this is an experience we can all identify. We are so hungry for heroes, for men and women to lead us, for men and women to say, get behind me. I know something about God. I can help you be more like him. I can help you grow in your faith. I can show you Jesus. We're so hungry for books and podcasts and sermons and songs and small group leaders and Bible study teachers and disciples. We need them. And yet when they let us down, what? do we do? I can imagine two people sitting around saying, I don't even know if I should have Moses' books on my bookshelf anymore. I don't know if I should tell anyone that I used to listen to his podcast. Is this not something you can resonate with? Have the last three or four years not been brutal? to Christian leaders that we all know, whose books we've read, whose sermons we've listened to, songs we sing, and so on and so forth. It's incredibly hard to want so badly for leaders, for heroes, to rise up and help us get there. But it hurts so deeply when they disappoint us. Every hero has a heel. That's what the Bible's telling us. That's what the Bible's showing us relentlessly. And let me just say this as well. This is why it is really easy to reject Christianity before you even consider it. I hope you have enough intellectual curiosity and honesty to not do that. Because I know a lot of young people will say, I've rejected Christianity because my pastor fell or because these Christian celebrities or this denomination or this church made a big mistake. I've rejected Christianity because its heroes are flawed. Listen, I could have told you that just from reading the Bible. Moses killed a guy. The Bible is full of stories like that. We need heroes. God uses heroes, but every hero comes with a flaw, which is why, which is why, if we build our faith on heroes, is it any wonder 
why every time one of them falls, hundreds and thousands of people say, I'm no longer a Christian. Because what are they saying? I based everything on Moses. Moses was my guy. Now I feel like a fool. What do we do with that? Well, that brings me to my third point, which is to say, is there anywhere to go for hope? Is there anywhere to go for hope? Because the Bible is teaching us we need heroes. We need leaders. We need men and women to stand up and say, get behind me. I will take you where God wants to go. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But the Bible also tells us every one of them in the end will disappoint us. So where do we go for hope? Well, there's a third theme the Bible teaches, and that is that actually the hero we need is God himself. Look with me at the end of this passage. After Moses has run, by the way, I love that Moses is a fugitive. He runs to Midian. He takes shelter with a family there. He has a son and he names his son and he says, because I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, which is a really positive way of saying I'm a fugitive who's wanted for murder. That's political spin for you. But look at the very end of the passage. Listen to what it says, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I love this last verse. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I, I keep thinking of how this story would hit you as a 12-year-old Israelite boy. You know, everyone's always told you the cool stories about Moses going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh, Red Sea, going up the mountain, Ten Commandments. Every time you and your buddies play, you want to be Moses, you want them to be the Egyptians, right? And then somebody tells you this story of Moses killing a guy, and you're like, what? Moses did that? But if he did that, how did he go on to do this? And the answer to that is that Israel's hope was never actually in Moses. Israel's hope was that God himself was for them. That God himself was doing something. That God saw them. That God heard them. That God knew. See, these little verses are nestled in this story because the writer is saying, Moses is getting ready to go on and do some epic things. But I want you to know, on his own, here's who he is. Moses becomes Moses because he works for God. And God is our hero. Moses's, David's, Joshua's, Joseph's, they come and go. God, it's God's faithfulness to his promise that moves the story along. Israel, Moses is not the hero that you should be looking to. He's not the one who says to you, get behind me. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God is that hero. And by the way, it's not any different for us. Because Moses points us forward to a greater rescuer who is God himself, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. God coming to us and saying to us, get behind me. 
I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It's Jesus who lives in our place righteously. It's Jesus who goes to the cross and dies under the weight of our sin and God's judgment on our behalf. It's Jesus who raises from the dead three days later. It's Jesus who ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. It's Jesus who's coming back one day on a white horse in the sky with the army of God behind him. Jesus is the hero that we need. See, God uses men and women. That's absolutely true. They're flawed. That is also true. And any faith built on Moses is bound to crumble. Just like any faith built on your favorite pastor, podcaster, writer, speaker, Sunday school teacher, small group leader, Bible teacher, is bound to fail. God invites us into a worldview in which those people are helpful, but they're not the hero. Jesus is. And here's the good news of that. Let me invite you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, which was read for us earlier. Jesus is a hero without an Achilles heel. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you see that Jesus is the one hero that you can build your entire life around and you will never have to worry that he will be outed for something on social media? You'll never have to worry that you'll discover some body buried in the sand that you didn't know about. You will never have to worry that he will let you down. You will never have to worry that he overpromises and underdelivers. You will never have to worry that he isn't who you thought he was. He is like us, yes, but tempted in every way and yet without sin. Friends, listen to me. God can use men and women in your life. No doubt. But do not build your faith on any hero, any leader other than Jesus. Invite Jesus to lead your finances, your marriage, your parenting, your career. Invite him to go first. Invite him to be the leader. Get behind him. He will never disappoint you. He is the one hero without an Achilles heel. He is the answer to our cry, the cry of the human heart for some hero to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your great love for us that you did not leave us to Moses's or Joshua's or David's or Joe's or Zach's or gems, but that you yourself came to us. You yourself said to us, get behind me. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Father, make us people who appreciate those who step out, those who lead, those who teach, those who, those who go first, but make us people who never ultimately trust in them.
Jesus, you are our king. You are our hero. You are enough. And it is in your name, on your name alone, that we pray. Amen.